the Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with MS-13 in El Salvador? How the Russian mafia fought battles all over Brooklyn in the 1990s? Or what about that time I got lost in the Burmese jungle hunting the world's biggest meth lab? Or why the Japanese Yakuza have all those crazy dragon tattoos? I'm Sean Williams. And I'm Danny Gold. And we're the host of the Underworld Podcast. We're journalists that have traveled all over, reporting on dangerous people and places. And every week, we'll be bringing you a new story about organized crime from all over the world. We know this stuff because we've been there. We've seen it. And we've got the near misses and embarrassing tales to go with it. We'll mix in reporting with our own experiences in the field. And we'll throw in some bad jokes while we're at it. The Underworld Podcast explores the criminal underworlds that affect all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Available wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles when away. Arrived, they found the we have a weird described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Murder. Should a person, if proven criminally insane or too mentally unstable to be brought to trial, be able to literally get away with murder? On March 9, 1972, a young boy was found dead and mutilated, and the man who most likely is responsible was left to live the rest of his life in a mental institution, leaving the case officially unsolved. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Erno Soto had been separated from his wife for a number of years when he went to her in hopes of a reconciliation. When he arrived at her door, he was startled to discover that his fellow Puerto Rican ex-wife had conceived an African-American child during their separation. Something about this triggered a dark side in Erno, and the older the boy got, the more erratic his behavior became, and he found himself in and out of treatment facilities. But nothing seemed to help, and beginning on March 9, 1972, a series of unsolved crimes against children began unfolding in the streets of Manhattan. All of these murders were attributed to an unknown man by the name of Charlie Chopoff. Douglas Owens, an eight-year-old African-American boy, was found murdered two blocks away from his home in Harlem on March 9, 1972. He was found on the rooftop, stabbed 38 times in the neck, chest, and back. The most distinctive wound, the one that earned Charlie his name, was that the young boy's penis was slashed and hanging on by a small flap of skin. Erno Soto, thanks to an anonymous tip, was immediately named a suspect. However, for unknown reasons, he was never pursued. Then, on April 20th, another young African-American boy, 
this time 10 years old, was attacked on the Upper West Side. He too had been stabbed in the back and neck, but unlike the first victim of Charlie Chopoff, this boy's penis had been completely severed and taken away from the scene. Miraculously, this boy was able to survive and give a description of his attacker. On October 23rd, Charlie attacked again. Nine-year-old Wendell Hubbard was killed in East Harlem, just six blocks from where Douglas Owens was found. He was stabbed 17 times, his penis removed and taken away. For five months, things seemed to come to a calm when, on March 7, 1973, nine-year-old Louis Ortiz vanished while on an errand to a corner store. His body was found having suffered from 38 stab wounds, his penis missing. Lewis was Charlie's only victim who was not African-American. He was very dark-skinned and Puerto Rican. Police had three boys in their morgue and a vague description of their attacker. Yet, Charlie Chopoff was able to take the life of one more victim before his capture. On August 17, 1973, eight-year-old Stephen Cropper was found dead. The artery on his arm had been slashed and his chest so mutilated it was described as mincemeat. However, this body was not sexually assaulted like those before him, and his attack was by razor blade rather than knife. These differences made police pause and consider there was a second killer at large. But the other similarities, like his ethnicity, age, and where his body was found, made them categorize him as another victim of Charlie Chopoff. Then, Charlie made a mistake. On March 25, 1974, he let one of his latest victims get away. Neighbors, who were all on edge after the recent string of attacks, jumped into action when they saw a young boy running away from a man screaming. They caught this man and held him until the police arrived. That man was Erno Soto. He was charged with attempted kidnapping and immediately suspected of being Charlie Chopoff. Under intense questioning, Erno admitted that God had instructed him to turn little boys into little girls and that he had been responsible for the attacks. However, the survivor of Charlie Chopoff did not identify Erno as his attacker. Then, the Manhattan State Hospital, who initially provided him with an alibi for the Stephen Cropper attack, said that Erno had been known to slip out every now and again, and they weren't actually positive he was in their facility the night of the attack. Police were, despite the survivor not identifying him, confident that Erno Soto was Charlie Chopoff. However, Erno Soto would never serve time for the murder. Because Erno was found to be too mentally unstable to even stand trial. He was committed to a mental facility and, officially, the case of Charlie Chopoff remains unsolved. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on March 10th. If you want to help support the podcast, there is always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. 
You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again, and have a wonderful day.